Hey guys, it's Jen. Welcome to The Lawyer's Daughter. In part one of our two-part podcast today, I have an interview with a woman I call Deep Throat. It's fascinating, the work that she does and the intensity and um, perseverance she brings to it is amazing. So I hope you enjoy this interview. I've broken it into two parts because it is long, but I, I think it's fascinating and you'll learn not only some amazing research methods that you can use in your own pursuit of truth, uh, but you'll also learn some interesting information about Joe D'Angelo. So here's part one. Hey everybody, welcome to The Lawyer's Daughter. I am thrilled today to have uh, somebody who's actually become a friend of mine. I call her Deep Throat because she likes to keep the information and the things that she does private, which is another reason I am thrilled she's agreed to come on the podcast today. The way we frame things is that we're going to talk a little tiny bit about um, Jane Puddle's book book that's coming out. So we'll do that first. But also then the way we frame this discussion today is around the research methods and the forensic investigating that she does um, pro bono. This is something she does to just help the cause of um, pursuing D'Angelo. So to me, it's, it's, you know, wow, just another one of citizen investigators who have helped with this case, which is just amazing to me, the, all the goodwill out there and all of you guys that have all helped with these sort of things. So we're gonna, what I wanted her to do, which I think is going to be really helpful for uh, on two sides. One, if you come at this, the perspective of you have a case that you care about or that you're following or you want to help with she'll talk about her research methods. So it's really interesting if you are a researcher, but it's also super interesting if you are a human, because this is how researchers go learn about you. So if you're wondering how is it somebody found this out or how fast someone gets unfortunately doxxed on Twitter, and if you don't know what that means, it means when you um, you do something that the Twitter world thinks is bad, they can put out your personal information. This is the, these are the kind of techniques that are used, they're using to find out who you are. Which by the way, please just don't have a racist rant in public and let somebody videotape it because my God, people are getting taken down fast right now. And I, I'm not kind of feel like it's a bit ruthless. I understand. I don't care for racists, but wow, right now there's crazy stuff going on on Twitter if you are caught doing that sort of thing. So everybody keep yourself clean out there watch what you're saying. Keep your thoughts to yourself like the old days. So let me begin by welcoming my guest, Deep Throat. I'll refer to as Deep in this conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jennifer. Great to be here with you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for coming. I know it's so funny that I'm using a um, a code name for you, but I understand where you are and what you do. It's really important that you just have this uh, boundary where you have two different lives. So that's okay. I think that's exciting. So let's start first because you've done a lot of research. And and one of the things we often talk about when we get together is that you know a lot of things about the area, the the area where um, a, a lot of the crimes happened. And you've also dug into the history. And so let's talk first about this James Huddle book. So uh, let me just explain to folks. Sharon Huddle is D'Angelo's wife and her brother has written a book and it is, it appears to be self-published. It just got listed on Amazon. I think yesterday was the first day it was listed because that's when I started seeing all the social media about it. 
He's, of course, riding the wave of popularity right now, as is everyone, including HBO, anybody who maybe has something to do. Gosh, it even affects me in this podcast, so I can't really um, point a lot of fingers here without pointing three back at myself, right? But this book is, um, it's a bit of a surprise, don't you think? Um, yeah, I'm sure that this person just wants to share his personal experiences with Mr. Loser of America, but um, I don't know that I'm that interested in hearing that. Maybe somebody is. I know. Well, you know, it's funny. I was thinking if it was about a different serial killer, I probably myself would be interested because this is kind of the um, at-home version of Joseph D'Angelo. Although I too find it's really, it's not even, I can't, I sit here and I can talk like I'm all highbrow. It upset me yesterday. It just upset me because I don't want him humanized. And right. I don't want to know about his life, you know? Right. And from right. everything I mean, we know, and you're, he, he was, D'Angelo was prolific. I don't even know how he had time to hang out with the family. Yeah, I, it appears by the little piece I saw that he made time to go out on his boat. I don't know if that means family time, but <laughs> selfish time. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 and it's it's interesting to me because I and I guess maybe we'll find out if uh, somebody whoever reads the book can tell me about this because I'm not going to buy it. But I think it's interesting because even if he was with family in in those small windows of time where he was actually focused on not raping and and killing. I'm sure he was obsessively thinking about it. I can't imagine either what he just did, had just done or what he was going to do next. I'm sure that was feeding him. So it's interesting to me that he could even be mentally present with his family because his hobby was so damn compelling. Well, that's the thing with narcissists. It's all an act. It's all pretend. It's him putting on an act to show everybody that he is normal so that they don't suspect the abnormal part of his life. Right. So that's actually a really good way to look at what uh, it comes through in this book is that while it may, while Mr. Huddle might write it from a normal human being's perspective, he's not, I don't believe he's a psychologist or criminologist or anybody else who could talk about pathology. So he would be seeing D'Angelo the way D'Angelo wanted him to see him because that's right. how a narcissist right. manages people. Exactly. So in fact, yeah, what we learned from that book will just be how well uh, D'Angelo was at, how, how, how proficient D'Angelo was is creating more illusion. More of the right. illusion. Right, putting like on a cell for everyone. Yeah, he just, I mean, he even does that in court. He just, he just is stoic and he will, he manages his personality so hard. All right. So, okay, let's do a pivot to talk about the thing that's much more interesting to me. Because when I first met you, um, you, you were, you do, you do a lot of research and it was, I don't even remember how we first met, but it was, uh, I, I just was like, wow, who is this woman? And I cannot believe how much you knew about not just the case, but you know about a lot of things that I think people don't know and there's and there is a ton of information out there about him that isn't public yet or is that still may come out but won't be part of any sort of court process 
So why, what is it about this whole idea of forensic research that, that gets you so fired up? Well, I'm used to doing historical research. So a lot of times I'm looking in the 1800s, early 1900s, but I told when this case popped and I saw that on the news, it brought me back because he was at my window in 1983. So it brought me right back to that present moment. And I said, oh my God, that was him. Well, as soon as I knew that was him, I started doing searches on the internet and there was absolutely no information on the web. It kept taking me over to the boards. And so I read and read and read whatever I could there. Um, but what I noticed on the boards was that the people would post things saying, I wonder this, I wonder that. And I thought to myself, why are you people wondering about anything? Go out and get the file and you'll know the answer in five minutes. Why would you sit there and type I wonder all day long? Um, so that baffled me because I just am not going to sit there typing I wonder this and I wonder that for two years when you can just get the file and have the answer in five minutes and then not wonder anymore. So that was what started me on my path. And, um, you know, it went from there. First, it was the court records. I mean, court records are just the easiest thing for anybody to access. And they're 100% public records. So it works like a library. You know how you go to the library and they used to have those little index cards. It's probably computerized now, but um, you look up the name of the book in the index. It tells you what number the book is and you go and take the book out and you read it. Court is the same way. Um, some of the courts have their index posted on the web. Placer County has theirs posted on the web. Anybody can go into the index and type somebody's name and you can pull up anything they've had, traffic tickets, divorce files, um, torts, if they've sued a neighbor or something, all of that would be listed in the index. If you find a file that you want, which I did on D'Angelo, when, when he's that dirty. I mean, if you're that dirty, it's easy to find the dirt. So, you know, you write down the file number and then you go to the court. You walk up at the window and say, I want to see this file. I mean, I grant you, I spent hours and hours at the court. Um, you can make hard copies of the files when they give it to you, or you can take pictures with your phone. But included in those files are lots of information, like, say, for instance, D'Angelo's divorce, the divorce files, okay? Um, his wife filed, I believe it was three different times and at various junctures in their life. So when you have a divorce file, they would have to list the property that they're going to split up. Well, one of the key things was the cars he drove, right? So it would list, mm -hmm. I don't have that file in front of me, but it would be like the 1955 Chevy and the Saab and different, different automobiles at diff and the boat, different things at different junctures in his life. So that's key. You can see what cars he had at, at that point, you know. Um, but this is all you know, from the court records because you get a big fat file that has it, it just so whatever they had to file in the in the course of that action. So a divorce, yes, that would be juicy because you would get a lot of information there, of course. But well, even criminal, you can see traffic, all those kinds of things, right? You can see the simplest things. Yeah, I mean, the traffic 
files, if somebody has a traffic ticket, um, or if they went to court for a DUI or anything, that was erroneously reported about D'Angelo. Um, but you can get copies. Once you go to and pull out the file, you have a copy of the citation that was given, and you can see their driver's license number, their name, their address, you know, their height, their weight, anything. I mean, all of that information is contained in the file. Now, with the divorce, the ones that Sharon filed originally, she only, she dropped it. It was only filed and then it was never pursued. So there were only two or three sheets of paper, you know, for that. But one of the key sheets where you have to claim what you have, those were, those were key for knowing what type of vehicles he had during those times. So you so, also made yeah. a note, yeah, you said you can go get people's driver's license number, which is gold, right? Once you have a driver's license number, isn't that a important piece of information? I like having that because I was able to utilize it for looking for some other files, um, for some other information on him. Um, I don't remember which files. Maybe I used that. I, I'm not sure if I used it for the um, workers' comp claim for the California Department of Industrial Relations. I'm not sure if I used it for that one or not, but that one was, um, that's another place that has public records, somewhat public records. And, you know, just looking at those um, videos on the web where the chief of police said that D'Angelo filed a workers' comp claim. I mean, a bell went off in my head saying, well, get a copy of the file. What's wrong with you? <laughs> so um, normally workers' comp claims are private. But when the narcissist appeals the claim, which I knew the narcissist would appeal the claim, and he did, that it then becomes a public record once it is appealed. So when I got a hold of the DIR um, and gave them his name, his date of birth, all of that information, um, they were able to pull that up in the file still. And even though that information was quite old, that was from 79. So okay, this is um, just mind blowing because I think even as just regular humans, we don't realize how much of our life is documented and recorded. And I mean recorded right. by a court or by an entity. And then that right. stuff sits in their, the bowels of their data files that anyone can mine at any time to learn about us and our behavior. Right. I mean, so, think, about how many, think about how many times you fill out documents to buy a house, um, your property deeds, when you go to college, all of those things. I mean, the college records you can get when they're greater than 100 years old. So if any of our researchers are around here, after that point, you guys can get a copy of D'Angelo's um, college records. I can't get it yet because it's too recent. But if anybody's around 70 years from now, feel free. So you found, you were able to find other misdeeds, is how you referred to it, that um, D'Angelo had done. Oh. Tell me a little bit about those because it's interesting that you just uncover all these other little things. By the way, guys, just, just. This is like, keep your life clean. This is all I can think of with this thing is like, make sure you live a clean life because here's some examples. Okay. Tell us about the misdeeds. Yeah, you, I know you're looking at your notes. Well, 
Um, in the court file over at Placer County, one that really caught my eye was where he filed suit against um, the uh, gas station over there in Roseville um, for the clerk. The clerk couldn't speak English that well, and the clerk thought he was being robbed by D'Angelo because D'Angelo couldn't pump the gas. He couldn't get all the gas out that he paid for. So he went back in and tried to get the remainder of his money, but the clerk didn't speak English and thought he was being robbed. So he called Roseville PD <laughs> um, and reported that he was being robbed. And then by that time, D'Angelo had handled it and took off and went his merry way. But eight months after that fact, I guess uh, Roseville PD being in Placer County didn't want to deal with it. So they dumped his name to Sacramento County because, you know, D'Angelo lives over the line in Sac County. And eight months later, Sac County PD was doing their, the Sac County Sheriff's was doing their thing. And um, they arrested him for this outstanding warrant and threw him in jail for a few days. Yay. Um, couldn't have happened to a better guy. So I know, just get I know, him out of circulation. So it's what? You just get him out of circulation for gosh, they probably prevented crime during that time when they had him locked up for a few days. Oh, he was so, he he was seething. He was so angry, and then of course he sued. He sued the gas station company that uh, saying it was their fault and it cost him all this money for an attorney and everything. And I'll tell you, the arrest warrant has all of these dates where he was arrested, they have it blacked out. And it's not fair that they redacted all that information because those are public records that we have a right to know. They had no right to redact that information on the arrest warrant. And I was be damned if I wasn't gonna find out what was under that redaction. And I did, so yeah. Um, and was it, was it during, what dates? When when was he arrested? Do you, I just, I know you don't have it written down. You happen to remember? Was it? It was in the eighties or um, in the seventies or? Well, in ninth for this gas station incident, he committed that in nineteen ninety six, and um, you know okay. he was arrested eight months later for the Browns Hardware incident. That was in nineteen eighty three that he committed that one which is where he got into a physical fight with um, Mr. Guy Mazo, a French citizen who was visiting the U.S. down at Brown's Hardware, which was at that time on Auburn Boulevard in Sacramento. And, uh, you know, true to form, Mr. Narcissist, somebody did or said something he didn't like, and he walked up to them and caused a fight. And this guy was a... Um, a good handball player and the European, that's a big sport over in Europe. And the guy clocked him one. He put his hands over D'Angelo's head and head butted him and messed up his teeth and his jaw. So D'Angelo promptly got himself a lawyer and sued the guy for $25,000. Now I have spoken. Now when I pulled that file out of Sac County, which I did, um, that's, that's a large file. Um, and I wrote down all the names. You just write down the names of the people involved with it, like the police officer who was working an extra duty at Brown's Hardware Store. I called him up. He was a fountain of information. But he told me he was moving to Arizona with his guns. So now I think he's gone. But um, 
you know, the um, people involved in that incident there were all on the same page stating that he, D'Angelo, was the cause of all of it and his narcissistic personality. And he was used to, you know, doing whatever he wanted, walking all over people. And this time he got clocked in the mouth and had to pay a price for it. But he never got anything. He never got any money. I know it was reported erroneously that he got money, but um, I talked to the attorneys on both sides, the one that re represented D'Angelo and the other one, and they said, I, we did not get anything on that. At the most, they would have gotten maybe $2,500 because um, the attorneys both told me that's what they do. They sue for 10 times the amount they think they could get. Right. So if, if it was $2,500 for his dental bills, unfortunately, the dental bills are the sealed part of the file that I don't have. It would be great to have that part, though. <laughs> um, you know, so the $2,500 was out of his pocket for the dental bills, and they sued for $25,000. But it went nowhere because D'Angelo's attorneys kept trying to make um, the French guy, Mr. Mazot, returned to the U.S., and Mazot wasn't going to give D'Angelo anything. And I'll tell you, that was very, very frustrating for D'Angelo, and it makes me wonder, Jennifer, if um, that court case dragged on for two years in Sac County from 83 to 85, and it was right after that that he committed one of his murders in 86. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, I think, so, I, you know, I find it fascinating um, that he would be, that he would put himself in the limelight both times in that 83, 85 window when he's definitely criming. And then again in 96, when he's done criming, at least as far, as far as we know, at least the stuff that, that we, that has um, police reports that he, we don't have police reports for him in the 90s. Other than him doing this thing at the Shell Station in Roseville, can you imagine being him and being so narcissistic that you're not even worried you're going to be caught or that they're going to pull your DNA or that you're going to do something that's going to trip you into being in the limelight? The balls on this guy that he's but raging at these other people. He was raging at the other people, but it's true. Narcissists believe that nothing bad can ever happen to them they believe they're amazing they believe they will always talk their way out of it that is how their brains operate it's that magical thinking that goes on in narcissists head so yeah yeah, yeah I mean, it's stunning to me because you would think he would just be I would have just been so quiet and so mousy and so conflict avoidant but you're right when you are pathological and I mean honestly there are enough um, role models for this now in our lives. <laughs> we've we've got you know a, a narcissist in chief right now where we can really see that it does that they don't hear what's really going on. They're not context aware. They're just about themselves. They're just focused on moving themselves forward. And and you're right. They don't think that they're is they're going to stick to them. It's not their fault because they're not. I mean. Margie told a story similar like to that about Visalia when he went into that blue chip store. Well, we believe it was him. We don't have proof exactly. it was him. But yeah, but he hit the concrete and came in yelling about how the concrete clearly was in the wrong place and not him. Exactly. It was the concrete's fault. 
Like Exactly. And it reminded me it exactly reminded me of that incident at Brown's hardware store, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then of course of go ahead. course him being knowing he was at Brown's hardware store in nineteen eighty three and I'll tell you nineteen eighty three was when he was at my window too. And when I was living in Sacramento at that time in a small duplex, but my duplex was the exact floor plan of I don't really want to say the victim's name, but one of the male victims that's really well known in this case, his duplex was exactly the same as mine too. So I don't know, maybe that would bring something back in D'Angelo's memory that him recreating something. I don't really know. Also, and it's just interesting anecdote for people listening. There were two other women that also I, I you were you were with me that I think the time frame 1983 was still when they talked about him keeping them as well, right? I think it was 83. Um, yeah, I so mean, there a lot to, of some, there's got to be hundreds, maybe thousands. There just has to be. And some of us, like those other two women that we met before, um, they caught him in the act, just like I caught him in the act and screamed, and he took off. But um, there's many, many more that didn't catch him in the act. And, and there's many more also who may have caught him in the act, but they have not connected it. Right. Okay. I, and I do, I, and yeah, people do reach out to me. I, I've said this before. I get these emails from folks like, I swear it was him or I swear if it wasn't him, it had every, you know, everything about it seemed like him, which I believe he was active in the early eighties up here for sure. And, and didn't stop um, peeping, at least peeping. At least he didn't. Thing. He did not, and there was no five-year break. Maybe there was a five-year break in murders or rapes, but no, he continued on at that time, and um, he just never yeah. stopped. So okay, so then you you okay. So first place you can go is court, but then what's what's the next thing that's a really um, a wealth of information? Newspaper articles. How about that? Um, the newspaper articles are great, and those were instrumental in all of us um, finding out about that shoplifting conviction of his in 1979, right? Um, because the court file in Sacramento was destroyed, we don't have the court file What of that 1979 shoplifting conviction. Yeah, that's but interesting we, that it was destroyed. Was that a fluke or? Uh, no. Do we know why it was um, destroyed or just? Just was. They honestly, God, they they have destroy dates on all kinds of things like that um, because they figure it's not important. Now, divorce files, family court records, those go back to the 1800s sometimes. But um, for these little things like shoplifting and stuff, they have destroy dates on the records. They just would never have enough room to keep them. Um, even our police departments, I will talk later about the Rockland crimes he did, but same thing in Rockland. They said, we just destroy all the records. We cannot keep this stuff. They can't, but regarding yeah, I mean, the shoplifting. Yeah, hopefully they're, they'll digitize them now. I'm hopefully maybe we're at a world now where we'll start to digitize them so they can persist, which is either a, it's either a pro or a con, depending on your point of view. But okay, so, so keep going. I hope so. But the yeah. shoplifting conviction was from newspaper articles that was brought to people's attention. Once again, in the newspaper articles, you are being given 
other people's names that you can write down these people's names, look the people up and go and interview them, um, which is what I did in that particular instance. The newspaper articles outlined the two clerks who tied up D'Angelo over at the pay and save. And I thought, well, I can't get that court file, but I'm going to interview these guys. So um, I bet I can find them. I bet they're still living here, is what I'm thinking. So I, I looked them up on the internet using the normal like white pages, fast people search, that kind of stuff. Um, all of those are on the internet. There's several companies that, you know, you type the name or you type the address or you type the phone number. They cross-reference them different ways. But um, just from taking the newspaper articles like that, I was able to find one of the clerks there who tied him up. Now, unfortunately, it's been, you know, that many years passed, and the clerk didn't remember him. Like I was saying before, a lot of people have had contact with D'Angelo, but they've never, ever connected it. So it's really weird when you call people up and say, hey, guess what happened to you? Guess who it was? And people are just like stunned. <laughs> and, and so this guy was one of them. I tracked him down. I called him up. It happened to be on April Fool's when I called the guy. Unfortunately, the guy thought it was an April Fool's joke, um, what I was telling him. And I said, no, give me your email. I'll send you all the files right now. And this guy happened to be a former sheriff's deputy and investigator in Sacramento County. So shortly after this guy arrested D'Angelo, he became a police officer in this area and never, ever through all the years when he was an officer, did he ever connect himself to D'Angelo ever, never. Yeah, because why would you think the guy at the shoplifting would be a rapist murderer? I mean, like it just, again, I, I guess James Huddle's book will explain how it is that D'Angelo could just walk around but yeah except he's always angry always angry I, I'm I am interested to know if he was angry as much as he was appeared to be angry anytime he left his house I mean even eating at his restaurant his favorite restaurant they describe him as angry <laughs> like right. there doesn't seem to right. be any place on earth where he wasn't just like grumpy old man and and the poor neighbors who lived behind them um those poor kids where they said they saw him out in the yard all the time, cussing and everything and wondering, well, I'm sure they know that De what D'Angelo did to their dog. I mean, he's just a sick individual. And that's what makes me want to dig up as much dirt on him as I can is pure hatred, um, pure hatred. So. And it does create a picture, a broader picture of, um, beyond the crimes that we know about because you know we're looking at there, there's so many there's so many counts that have been, he's been charged with plus all the crimes he hasn't been charged with but we know he did it plus the whole visalia ransackers thing which still just blows my mind there's so so much so okay so you use white pages and fast people search for basic like where are they now how do i contact the person and what and what i love and what i when I first learned this is what you did, I'm like, damn, you are Jim Rockford. 
And for those of you who don't know who Jim Rossford is, he was like, that was a TV show that was awesome. That I think in the seventies, maybe it was even the sixties. I don't know. I remember I was young and I felt like I learned everything I know from, um, for being a brat from Jim Rossford because he would just do stuff. And that's what you do. You just go for it. You just call the guy like, hi, I'm calling you. You happen to be in this thing that I found and I need to know more. I love that. Like, I just love your courage that you just go for it and do it. I guess no harm done. Um, people well, talk or they want. You, okay, but you always call me deep throat. And I think the deep throat person in Watergate had a lot of secrets that he knew. And they were secrets that other people didn't know. These things that I uncover are things that, any, the public has access to this. These are not secrets at all. These are public files that anybody can walk in and get any minute of any day if they want them. There's no secret involved in any of this. Yeah, I guess I call you deep throat because I want to keep your identity private so that you can do this stuff because you're so good at this that I don't want people to see you coming. I want you to be able to sneak attack them because if people saw you, they would never know this was you. They would be like, oh my God that's who's doing this because you just are the most unassuming lovely person and it's just not it just it just go you go against type i guess is what i'm saying so i think that's oh, amazing and, and awesome <laughs> okay so how interesting some of the other some of the other files that me and other people, not just me, there are other people who researched him too, um, were the property deeds, the property tax records. And think about that. When you buy a house, and he did buy a couple of them, um, you know, the property deeds, look at the mountain of paperwork we all fill out, right? I mean, you're and right. We Say, we say we yeah we share a lot of information when we buy a house if you have right. not through this yet in your life guys you share a, it's exhausting how much paperwork there is i know the property deeds have a ton of information in them as well as far as say the date you bought your house the date you sold it that would tell us where d'angelo was right um right sometimes even um, rental if you rented somewhere long enough if if you type a certain address you'll see all the people who have lived there for the past I don't know 30 40 years um, I know when I was renting the little duplex in Sacramento my name pops up on that still and it's probably been I don't know 30, 40 years or something I guess um, since I lived there right, but, this, you know we, and you get all this I'm information sorry. this kind of information you are getting at a, the county recorder. So you have to at least know what counties you're focusing in on to go. I mean, you could just go in with your name, but just know it's yeah. the right county, which breaks it way down now. I will say, I mean, yes, it's the county. Although you could call the county up. Um, it helps to be here in person to be able to get, I mean, to get these files from the court or your information from Placer County Recorder or whatever. Um, it helps to be there in person, but if you're not in person, these this information you can get over the phone. You can just call the recorder's office and say, hello, I'd like to live, know who lives at 123 Main Street in whatever city, and they'll look it up and tell you who it is. Um, now, who bought the house? Okay, so, 
it can be recorded because I know right now we need a sleuth in Orange County because there's some information in Orange County you can't get unless you're physically there, right? So, by the way, if somebody wants to be a sleuth for us, send me an email. You can get my email address through the website through jcarroll.com if you want to go do some court sleuthing. But that sometimes you have to be there in person, right? That's it, it just depends on the county, right? Is that what you've told me? Um, it, to actually see the file and touch the file and walk up to the counter and say, give me that file. I want to see it. I want to read it. Yeah. Um, like okay. some of those files are very thick. I don't know if you could say, say you lived on the East Coast and you sent a letter to Placer County Court saying, I want you to make copies of that whole file for me. There, there's a charge. It's 50 cents a page. Um, you know, you I, you can spend $40 or something on a file. Um, I remember Winters complaining one time that Tulare County was charging them $5 a page or something. That was hilarious. But, um, yeah, That's it helps. Referring to the Cat Winters Keith Como's book. The, um, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. That's the compendium <laughs> I talk about a lot, guys. It's that it's, if you put oh. in Winters and Como's, this book is, amazing because it just chronicles all the official crimes, the ones that, that everybody seems to talk about all the time. Um, and then they also did one on the Visalia Ransacker. But yeah, I, they, they're, they're in Texas or someplace, I think they're far. So I could see that they had, to, that would be unfortunate to have to pay 50 cents a page because you often use your phone, right? You can take yeah, sometimes yeah. you can take photos with your phone of documents. There's also a cool app for your phone that turns photographs into PDFs, like you, you say make a PDF, so you actually instantly have a PDF, which gives you a lot more ability to search it, um, do things with it if you use a PDF, but that's, that's a way to grab this information instead of having to pay for photocopies. So everybody, that's yeah. a big cheat right there. You're so techy. I know, um, I'm sorry, <laughs> yes, I'm the techie side of your like, go get me the file. I want the paper. So while the envelope, so the property tax thing, while D'Angelo was in jail, I kept checking back and somebody, I think I know who that somebody is, was paying his property taxes while he was incarcerated. Big mystery there, huh? But anyway, those kinds of fun things show up over there. Find a grave. Yeah. How about Fox? Wait a minute. What? Wait, can I just, one thing about the property tax, I think it's really interesting that they paid them because they could have actually gone into, I, I guess they just were trying to avoid the charges, but if you don't pay them, it would have been resolved in the case of the house, which was put into his granddaughter's name in the trust about three days before it was sold. Those property right. taxes could have been paid at the time of sale as well out of the proceeds of the house. So it's interesting that they actively paid the property tax instead of just letting it roll because it really. Well, if they let it, but if they let it roll, then the county will file a lien and they didn't want any liens or any encumbrances upon that property. Oh, yeah, they wanted right. that, that to be covered. You're right. Oh, the, they wanted that sold quickly and easily. Yeah. And you couldn't have transferred the title to the trust if there had been a lien. You're exactly lien. right. So someone yeah. was shrewd enough to do that math ahead of time. Hmm, I wonder if yep, there was, was a okay. was a lawyer <laughs> yeah, involved, just saying. So, okay, yeah. and all of you guys, if you are not following the bouncing ball, we're talking about Sharon Huddle. So there you go. Um, she, was, she wasn't even, when did they get divorced? It was what day it was finalized. God, I was in court yeah. that day too. And I saw that happen. 
Um, I don't have the file in front of me on the divorce. Was it about a year ago? I don't have that it one in front of me. Arrest, Sorry. Right? Yeah. It was like November of 2019 or 20, yeah, November of 2019, maybe. It was definitely post-arrest, which is interesting. Again, guys, just in, if you're really, if somebody ever really writes this story eight from beginning to end with everything that's been gathered in between, we have them, we have them getting officially divorced in 2019, I believe, which is super interesting. That's post-arrest. And so, yeah, Sharon's paying the tax property taxes on his house. She has her own house. These things are getting handled. So they're not separated, separated, which is what that tells me. Cause there's no way my mom was, even when my dad died, my parents were divorced. I don't even know where his property taxes went like that. We were not in his business. Let's just put it that way. When my mom divorced my dad. So I, most divorces, you don't stay in each other's business like that. And yet they continue to support one another even if it's just fiscally during that time, which I think is super interesting. Okay, guys, I'm going to stop this one right here and we'll catch up with part two. Just skip over to the next podcast and you'll have part two. Venture a highway in the sunshine where the days are longer, the nights are stronger than